following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Loss helps us define our lives. By allowing our grief to matter, we discover our own strengths and embrace our authentic selves. Welcome to Good Grief with your host, Cheryl Jones. Get ready to be inspired, to create a deeper life, to make your time on Earth much more meaningful. Now, here is Cheryl Jones. Hello, I'm Cheryl Jones, and I want to welcome you to Good Grief, where we talk each week about the transformations that sometimes come from loss. Thank you so much for joining us today. My host page at Voice America has all the links you need to connect me with me in your favorite way. Please let me know how you're responding to the show. Uh, if any of you joined me last week for my interview with musician Gary Malkin, you know that Gary generously offered to share one of his musical meditations from his series, series Graceful Passages. If you'd like to have it, just email me at the link on the Good Grief host page, and I'll be happy to send it to you. I, I guess, yeah, there's just an email link there. Today, I'm here with Benjamin Allen. Lydia, Benjamin's first wife, received a blood transfusion infected with HIV during the birth of their first child, Matt. He and Lydia had another child, Brian, before they were informed of her infection. Consequently, his wife and their two children died, the first being in 19. 1985, and the last in 1995. While dealing with these circumstances, Benjamin appeared extensively in media such as the New York Times, Dateline, The Today Show, Good Morning America, 2020, various local newspapers, especially the Dallas Morning News, and The Oprah Winfrey Show. He was approached at that time to secure rights to make a film about his life, but declined. Many people asked him, to write the story, but he wasn't ready. Finally, after many years of emotional and spiritual exploration, he came to a place of peace. His book, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the Afterloss, details that journey. Portraying normal people in abnormal circumstances, the book shows how he and those he loved and lost came to a deeper connection with life in the embrace of death. Benjamin has worked with grieving individuals and groups for decades. He has also been trained and certified by the Grief Recovery, Method, Recovery Institute. He began his career as a Southern Baptist minister and was the pastor of Pacifica Baptist Church in California. He worked for the Christian Life Commission and, and, many, and was a founding director of Dallas AIDS Interfaith Network, a member of Texas Legislative Tax Force on AIDS and the National AIDS Commission, uh, and also worked with the HIV Research Group, uh, University of Texas Southwestern Medical School in Dallas, Texas. Once asked what he now believes, Benjamin responded, I have no labels, no attachment to a particular belief. All I know is that I am human born of spirit, and in spirit there is only love. 
He now lives in Lake Tahoe, Nevada with his wife, Rachel, where he writes and delivers personal growth programs. Welcome, Benjamin. Hi, how are you? I'm, I'm very well. I, um, thanks for a beautiful book. I'm really happy to be here talking with you about it. And I, I also am uh, pleased to be sitting with another preacher's kid. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get that pleasure very often. <laughs> Another, <laughs> but, our, but both of our our dads were preachers, so that's a commonality too. That's true. That's uh, uh, you know, in your bio, you talk about not being ready to write the book, but then I think something must have finally convinced you or um, made it made it the right time. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Yeah, I really needed to have a real quiet time. After Matt died, my, Matt died. He died. He was the last to uh, to die, and I just needed to be still, and I needed to reflect. And I, like you said, like you said in the intro, I people had talked about, well, this would be a great movie and all that stuff. I really didn't want a hallmark movie about my life, sappy thing. It really, it, it was a very powerful, moving experience to be a part of their lives and to go through this process and I didn't want to shallow it but I needed to go to the depths of my own being and I needed time and I needed to go through it in my own time and so ultimately the writing of the book is not to create my healing it is the outcome of my healing mm. and and healing is always present tense it's not like there's a past tense it's been done what I came to was the unfolding of my process of finding peace, peace within the hurt, peace within the sorrow, peace within the missing them. And to me, that's true healing. So that was when it was time to write it. When you, when you felt you had, had, you had found some of that. Exactly. Okay. I, I had come to a place where I, I felt like my journey was in a place where I could be in that reflective state and not in process. And I think that really reflects in the book itself. It's not, I'm, I'm going through the anguish, I am going in through the reflection and the account in order to be of service to other people, in order to connect to, in order to, connect to other people and say, we, we share a common path, we share loss, and we share healing. Mm. That's really interesting too because I've I've interviewed quite a number of of uh, authors for the show, and some of them say, "Oh, this book was my healing," you know. Right. Um, but I do think all of them had to be ready to a certain degree to even engage with their experience again uh, so deeply. Um, but you waited beyond that even to the place where you really felt you'd found peace. Yes, definitely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. definitely. And how long were you, how long did it take you to write? Uh, the writing itself or how long did it take me to start the writing? Mm, the writing itself. It <laughs> sounds, writing sounds as if you um, yeah. took your time getting ready right. uh, t- for the writing. It actually took about uh, four or five months maybe and uh, to, to write the book. And then uh, my wife, who is a, a professional writer, uh, did a remarkably wonderful uh, editing job. Rachel, my present wife, mm-hmm. uh, is, um, did a remarkable job in, in cutting all my darlings out and uh, <laughs> making, it, making it more concise. And, and, uh, and, uh, but it, it really flowed quite easily. And so in that process, it was like, 
the book was writing itself, and it, it, it's not it's 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 not a sappy book. It's not it's not uh, mired in and and sorrow. It, it to me, and I think others that have read it uh, have commented that it really is a book of hope and of healing. Absolutely, I agree with that. Also, that it's interesting that she was so deeply involved in the edit because. Uh, to me, it, it felt as if the, the tone of the book, you know, the, the way it was written, fit with the message you were sending. Mm. I don't know if you started out, I don't even know if you tried to do that, but that's, that's really what struck me about the book as a whole. Does that ring any bells with you? Yes, and thank you. I, I, I think it really does. And I think that that, uh, that was the voice and the tone that just ha- came naturally to me. Uh, Rachel and her ability to refine it. And it really, I totally believe it was, it was a, a project, a co-producing of this thing. Because Rachel has a unique ability to hold a space for someone in sorrow, she has not experienced any of that kind of sorrow, but she's a remarkable human being that can hold that space and to be in that space of love and, and that, that kind of connection. So much of, of what I've written is not just a reflection of the life that I journeyed through, but the life that's unfolding now and, and the beauty mm-hmm. of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think this would be a good moment for the listeners to hear a bit what we're talking about. Could you read the hurricane uh, section of your book? The, sure. the Eye of the Hurricane, I think you called yes. this part. Right, The Eye of the Hurricane. Okay, um, it says, Where Does the Sky Begin? was the title of a sermon by a Unitarian minister in the mid-1800s. I've chewed on the title for over 25 years. Where Does the Sky Begin? Is it just centimeters or millimeters above a blade of grass? Is sky defined by what isn't sky? What is sky? Where does loss begin? Is it just centimeters or millimeters from where the heart meets breath? Is loss defined by what isn't loss? What is loss? Did my loss begin with a phone call from the blood bank in 1985 or some moment long before? I don't know. My loss lives in relation. It has to have others to be lost. The difficulty has not been lost, but discerning its distinguishable marks with precision and clarity. Lydia came into the bedroom one night after Brian died. She caught me in tears. I said to her, I don't know if I'm crying for Brian or for you or for Matt or for me. Preparatory loss is a different texture than grief painted by past loss. Losing felt more ethereal than the tangible, tangibility of loss. But the grief process confused me, kept me off balance as it pressed against my daily life. I had a tremendous difficulty in discerning what I felt, the origin of the feeling, beginnings and endings of a thought, a feeling, and a moment. The metaphor that describes my life during my initial years of intense loss was that I felt like I was hanging on to a tree in a hurricane. The bark of the tree tore at my skin, and I couldn't let go. The gale-force winds hurled heavy objects into me, but I couldn't let go. I held tighter as each thought, each event, each moment perpetually bashed me between the hurricane and the tree. Every day I just hung on for dear life. Then the eye of the hurricane passed over me. 
and there was a moment of truth. I could either let go of the tree and follow the stillness of the eye or hold on as the stillness moved on and the torrential winds tore at me again. It would appear on the surface to be a no-brainer, but hurricanes were what I knew best. Stillness was a foreign commodity to me. I began the journey of stillness in 1989. I made the choice to let go of the tree and follow the eye of the hurricane wherever it led. I let go of fighting what isn't and settled into what is. I gave up trying to fit into a spiritual system that didn't work for me. I let go of alcohol because it inflamed the fire rather than cooling the turbulent waters. I let go of an occupation that did not reflect my path. I examined my life and found the only way to make the outside work was to release into the inward journey through stillness and effortless motion. And when I started aligning my insides with what is, my exterior began reflecting the harmonic balance between stillness and motion. Stillness teaches me effortless motion, and effortless motion teaches me stillness. I, I really love that image of the of the eye of the hurricane. Uh, that's that's um, something I've actually thought of very often. That they say that in the eye, it's it's actually very calm and still and quiet. Yeah, uh, which is such a. Uh, a tremendously unexpected thing, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, and, and it is always in movement. And so the stillness is actually in motion. And that's been a very much a part of my spiritual path and my understanding and experience of life is that if I am to find stillness, it must be in motion. If I am to find motion, I must be in that eye, in that stillness. Mm, for sure. Does that, uh, I know that you do grief work as well with people who have experienced or are experiencing loss. And and often, of course, they're in the hanging on to the tree part. Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you intersect those two? Your deep commitment to kind of, as you can, choose the eye of the storm and you're interacting with people who aren't ready to let go or aren't, you know, are still, still uh, scraping, scraping the bark in a way. Yeah, I can sit with anyone, anywhere, anytime, wherever they are. And I feel very comfortable with that. And I, 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 I would much rather sit with them where they feel they need to be than to, than to push them in a direction that they're not ready for. And so... I, I can still sit in my stillness, and that really can be a part of, they can witness that kind of stillness. They can witness that there is an alternative to where they're at, but it, it's so important to let people just to be mm. where they're at, to be in their anger, be to be in their fear, to be in their sorrow, to be in whatever state they're in, you know, that's where I want to be. So in a way, you you being able to remain in that place and take responsibility for that in yourself allows you to come towards them saying, I don't require anything of you. Yes. Would that express it? That's a, that, yeah, that's a beautiful way to express it. And it there's, unconditional love is unconditional. And so in my experience, unconditional love also means absolute freedom. 
So I really explored that in my own self of the, the, the freedom to feel whatever I needed to feel, however long I needed to feel it, and did not put judgment on it. And because I've traveled that path, I'm very comfortable with that path with another. It's kind of your home turf, huh? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's, my, that's my landscape of the after loss, and that's what, I, that's what I've called it. You know, those that we love, I believe, go to an afterlife, and I was left in the after loss. And that's a whole landscape. It's a whole different terrain than what was the world before. Mm. You know, and so I am very comfortable in that in that uh, world of the after loss. And I'm 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 uh, I just have to assume uh, that people are uh, they may not know quite what it is. Some of them probably do, but that that people. Well, here's what I'm thinking of. Whenever I go to a gas station and I'm pumping the gas, nine times out of ten, somebody starts telling me their life story. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a big joke in my family. Yeah. Uh, you know, which person in this bunch of people is going to come up to you? Or if we're in a hurry, I don't pump the gas kind of thing. <laughs> is yeah. that, does that happen to you? <laughs> no. But people like usually leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> And if I started my life story, they'd, they'd just say, well, i got to go. <laughs> That's great. Have a good one. But, but I'm, I, I just have to imagine people can feel in you that you're okay with being with their hard stuff, though. Yeah. Maybe not at gas stations yeah. <laughs> at other times, huh? No, I, I think that really comes across and, and because it's true. It's true. And, and you know, I, I really... It's precious. You know, I have to tell you that one of the, you know, even though my belief system is, has evolved over the years, but one of the things that I have kept from that is the image of when I'm with another, that it's sacred ground. And I think of this as that, that when, when Moses and, and, and the Old Testament stands before the burning bush, says, take off your shoes, you're on sacred ground. Mm-hmm. And every time I sit with another, I, you know, I... You feel that. Yeah. Yeah. Guess what? It's time for our first break. Okay. (laughs) Amazing. When we come back, I want to hear more about Lydia, Brian, Matt. You're right, Rachel, too. Um, And I want to know know kind of firsthand about all of it, uh, including what it is to find someone who will step into your loss with you, as you've described described Rachel. And listeners, during the break, you can find me at Good Grief Host page at Voice America. Go to www.theafterloss.net to find Benjamin Allen's work. More after the break. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. 
We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. You are listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. This is Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief. You can find me at Voice America and at my website, www.weatheringgrief.com. That has two Gs. Today I'm talking with Benjamin Allen, whose book, Out of the Ashes, chronicles his journey during the illnesses and after the death of his wife and two children, who contracted AIDS as a result of a transfusion his wife received while giving birth to their first child. Um, Benjamin, I, I think it, where I'd like to start this segment is just for you to help our listeners get to know your family a little bit. Um, you know, what was life like then and uh, who were they and then how, was, how were you all affected by what you were going through? What did that look like? Sure. Uh, well, Lydia and I knew each other. Uh, we met when I was 11 years old, and she was an older woman of the age of 13. <laughs> and uh, we actually didn't start uh, dating until I was 20. And uh, we fell in love and got married at the age of 22. And so we went off and uh, to school in the Bay Area. And, and, and um and uh, she was a nurse, and she was basically did a lot of different types of nursing, but settled into psychiatric nursing. And I told her she, she always put me on her resume as as part of her. <laughs> <laughs> so, but uh, but she, uh, which was disconcerting for me. But the uh, <laughs> but she she was a very strong individual, and she was very strong in her faith uh, growing up. And we grew up in a very conservative. Uh, Christian background, and through the whole process and the unfolding, we've we both went in kind of different directions, and uh, and both but in, in different ways. And so, at the time of her death, Lydia was able to step into the unknown with great authenticity and strength. And it really, her her death reflected her life. It was mm-hmm. very authentic, very real. She was a very giving person. And uh, and that continued all the way to her last breath. Uh, Matt was a uh, was a, a quite a unique individual. He was a very old soul, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, we were we were incredibly close. Matt and I uh, connected in the womb, and uh, and it was just 
you know, there, 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 it was in, there's no way to put it. There aren't words. And uh, that was, he was the one that lived the longest after the uh, infection. And uh, he lived for 13 years. He wanted, to be, he wanted to be a teenager. And he died a month after his uh, 13th birthday. Mm. And uh, so it, it was quite a journey with him. And, and that's chronicled in the book as well. And Brian was... Uh, you know, I, for me, I think he was the oldest soul of us all, and uh, he had these eyes that were just phenomenal. Uh, the depth in them were just—they were breathtaking to me. And uh, he lived uh, eight and a half months, and in the eight and a half months, he couldn't crawl, he couldn't hold his head up, he, he had failure to thrive, and he lived in a lot, a lot of pain uh, through his life. And um, at the end of his life, the beautiful gift of his spirit touched us in, in a remarkable way uh, beyond his breath. It, it was uh, rather moving. And so Brian had the most difficult journey of us all, and um, yet there was just such a beauty about him. And every time Matt, Matt was around a little bit younger than three when Brian was alive, and every time Matt would come in the room, Brian's eyes would would just track him mm. wherever he went. There was this, and 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 Matt loved him, incredible. So, mm -hmm. so, it, it to me, what you're moving in me is this place. I actually think about it a lot, where we're in bodies and we relate as if that's up us, but they're kind of more like our houses. Uh, you're, you're describing Brian, he was looking out the windows of his house, mm -hmm. to totally there, mm -hmm. uh, even though his, his body was not um, helping him, I guess. Or, yeah, uh, yeah. And, and also, just a side note, Lydia and Brian had this incredible connection that was just like Matt and mine. And so there was a deep, deep connection with those two that was just, you know, beyond borders. But I, I tend to agree with what you're saying is that I believe that the, that the body is a reflection of spirit. The spirit is not a reflection of the body. Mm. Uh, I'm, you know, my biggest loss experience was uh, definitely with one person, um, it was very long, eight or ten years, uh, depending on you, whether you count the whole illness or after diagnosis. But it was with that one person. It was very concentrated. And, uh, you know, you always can't picture what, hasn't, you, well, what you haven't done. <laughs> mm. So I'm wondering, dealing with three people you loved so deeply, all being ill, uh, whether whether you can describe in any way the impact of the three you you talked about it a little in the passage where you said you didn't know who you were crying for but mm -hmm. i'm also thinking in terms of taking care of three different people with different difficulties um it yeah. sounds it sounds huge yeah preparatory grief doesn't prepare very well, <laughs> you know. It, it you know, it, and it was you do the best you can, but there was a sense that 
we found out, uh, we got a call from the blood bank when, when uh, Brian was five months old. He spent his first month of life in the intensive care as Matt spent his first month of life in intensive care. But when we got him home and we got the call, uh, one of the things that we were, it was amazing. We got the call and we were all going to be tested. But we knew something was wrong with all three of them. We knew that that, that this certainly rang true that that uh, it was HIV and so what we decided even that night after the call says whatever time we have left we're going to live it and it we're going to live quality rather than quantity mm. and so you know it, it wasn't waiting to die it was it was experiencing life as as death approached and uh, of course we had our ups and downs and our moments and 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 the struggles and all that, but the the grief itself, you know, loss happens long before the body ends. Mm-hmm. You know, there's loss of dreams. There's loss. I lost my career. I lost a whole bunch of stuff. You know, career is minor compared to the other losses I I experienced. But the uh, it it there there is a series of losses that happen when someone is moving towards death. And that is is what we had to contend with and to be present for and awake to because we knew the preciousness of each moment. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you just alluded to your loss of career, and I, I think that, that part of the book uh, broke my heart and moved me so much. Um, the the I guess I want to say the heartlessness that you encountered. I I lived during that time and I was in the Bay Area, where uh, there were a lot of people facing AIDS. So I know what you're talking about. Um, but that that really um, uh, wrenched me. And um, I wonder what your perspective is on that now. Uh, obviously, you said in the book. You know, people uh, act out of ignorance, and it sounds as if you have a lot of forgiveness. Mm. Um, would that be true? And you know, wh- how do you incorporate that these days? Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I the, it took a lot of, of moving into leaning into all of life, and leaning into my sorrow, and leaning into my anger, and leaning into my. Uh, inability at some points during the journey to not forgive and to have that 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 anger and, and to move to a place of forgiveness and of love uh, has been one of the greatest gifts that the journey needed to happen before I even wrote the book mm. and and that that was a long journey but it was one that I was not willing to uh, Ignore because mm-hmm. for, for really, I, as I read somewhere, forgiveness is the price we have to pay for freedom, <laughs> and and uh, mm-hmm. and it's my freedom, and it was and it was to be there, pr- so present for Matt in that space of unconditional love. I could not hold anything but love, so I had my my whole motivation to let go of all of that, and and what we encountered uh, was essential. Because I really believe that as we travel with people through the process, we want to catch that rhythm and that heartbeat so it's in sync with with the universal heartbeat. So I I couldn't afford to hold anything that would hold Matt back. And I feel 
it's important to put this in context for the listeners. What I'm talking about is that you immediately uh, lost your pastoral job and you had a very, very hard time finding even a church you could attend. Right. Um, which fits with the times. I do think that's changed in many churches. But um, to me, what struck me about it is here you are in the most spiritually challenging kind of moment without the benefit of what you at the time really saw as your spiritual ground. Uh, oh, that's yeah. quite a shock. <laughs> yeah, it, it, was, it was pretty devastating and very, very painful. And even at that point, uh, it, it was the, the approach of the fear was more out of the business aspect of the church. Mm-hmm. And and yet there were good people that didn't know what to do, and it was it happened so quick that they didn't know how to respond. So I, I certainly don't hold anyone accountable for for their behavior in that sense. They didn't know how to behave, and mm-hmm. as Lydia once said, someday the someday the world will catch up with the facts. And uh, you know I don't know. It's been a long time, and I've seen a lot of. Misinformation out there, but yeah. <laughs> that's another story. But, another talk but, but not as not as extreme. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, pretty brutal. They were burning children's houses down. Yes, they were doing. We were right in the middle of all that, and Lydia's uh, medical files. Brian had just been born, and Lydia's medical files with her name on it was passed around the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, confidentiality was just broken, and and we were decimated, and we basically fled in the night. And uh, and I was asked to resign when I said, you know, my family is, uh, uh, at that point, they didn't use the term HIV, but it has AIDS. And, uh, and even though I'm HIV negative, you know, there's no moral issue involved in that. But the moral issue was, you know, that uh, there, was, there was lack of care. And I'd like to say something, too, that I, I really don't look at this as it's not about transfusion stuff. I feel uncomfortable with that mm-hmm. because it doesn't matter how someone gets sick. What, ma- what matters is how we treat the sick. Absolutely. And, and so I never equate one type of infection or one way of being ill as being uh, other than any other way. Right. You know, know, illness is illness. Of course, I'm totally in agreement with you. Yeah, so that's, I always like to voice that because it it does explain what happened to us, but, uh, and and that's what happened, but it's it's certainly not to negate any other. Absolutely. Well, but I, I do also think there's a more subtle moving away that does often happen when people are ill with anything that's life threatening. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's in there a little bit too, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to make a really dramatic shift because uh, you went through all of that and then you chose to love again, mm-hmm. and that's a radical move, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> One I understand quite well. But I wonder if we could end this segment. We're getting fairly close to the break with that section about Rachel because I think that the two together that you went through all of that. And then you did the work to get back to a place to open up again. It's just really has a lot of impact on me. 
Okay, I, just real quickly though, I, I, I don't, I'm not sure about the time, but just to set the stage for this, Rachel was doing uh, volunteer work with the Karen refugees in Thailand. Thailand is where we met, and they were Burmese refugees that uh, the military government of Miramar uh, actually was were create uh, uh, genocide. They were killing all of them. Mm-hmm. And so there was a, a uh, camp, a refugee camp in Thailand, and Rachel was doing some uh, volunteer work there. And when we met, she asked if I wanted to go, and so that's where we went. And that's right. part of it's part of the books, but so I'll read this uh, section. And just in, in the refugee camp, Burma and Thailand are 30 minutes difference. And what happened to the refugees, they kept their timepieces mm. on Burma time. Mm. And, and so that really touched me. And so the segment's called Time and Timelessness. So I'll, I'll read it now, if that's fine. Great. Okay. I lay next to Rachel under the same cloud of time. We pushed our thin mats on the small hut door closer together. The one hour of electricity allotted in the night had long since passed, and the other huts that dotted the mountain were quiet and still. The candle illumined her as she lay in her sleeping bag next to me, and I was caught in times in between. I wanted to hold her in real time, but something kept me 30 minutes away. If I let go of losses time, what would be left of me? Would the past fade? Would the change in time bring more pain, more than I could absorb? In other relationships, this was as far as I could go. Love had this innate border crossing that I was unable to enter. But Rachel held a unique space. I was drawn to her love by the way she loved as much as by her capacity to love. She neither pushed nor pulled. She simply was, which made it simple to be. The relationship between love and loss was tangled in time. The more I loved, the more I lost. The more I studied the chasm between my ability to love and the enormous barrier of my fear of loss, I saw just how trapped I was. Rachel and I walked the winding footpaths in the camp from section to section, up the mountain passes, balancing on loose rocks to cross the river. We rested often while our guides waited for us to catch our breaths. They had leaned to, they had, excuse me, they had learned to breathe in the enclosed space. It was nothing for them to carry great weights on these narrow paths. They roamed, they once roamed their homeland, balancing on premises far more challenging than the tame land that we could not leave. Our guides waited as long as we needed. I followed Rachel into the Karen refugee camp. When we left, to return to Chiang Mai, I was to follow the inner workings of time, its causes and consequences. I was falling deeper in love, which meant I was falling further into loss. Mm-hmm. Um, somewhere, somehow, if I could only find peace with time, I might find where time and timeless, timelessness meet. The price of loving again was to follow whatever came emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually to not close down, but to follow loss, hopefully, to the end of time. Mm. We'll be back after the break. You can find me and Benjamin at the host page at Good Grief. (laughs) 
your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance, and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies. But 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. listening to Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. To reach Cheryl or her guest today, please call 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Cheryl Jones at weatheringgrief.com. Now, back to Good Grief. Welcome back. I'm Cheryl Jones, the host of Good Grief, and today I have the pleasure of Talking with Benjamin Allen, we've been talking about his book, Out of the Ashes, Healing in the After Loss. I, I really loved that passage that you read before the break about um, becoming involved with your second wife, Rachel. I think part of why I love it so much, as I was saying during the, during the break to you, it's so familiar, that sense of knowing what you're risking in loving, knowing it intimately, Mm-hmm. And um, somehow figuring out how to jump off the cliff anyhow. Uh, I remember that feeling from when I met my second wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, it really resonates with me. Is there more you'd like to say about that? Sure. I mean, the, the, that was a real challenge. And really, for me, it's not loving again. It's loving more. Mm. <laughs> and, and because to me, again, means that something stopped. My ability to love Rachel and my, uh, is is predicated on the capacity I had to love Lydia and Brian and Matt and those that are close to me. And so it's the unfolding of love that gets to be a part of our relationship, Rachel and I's relationship. It's not, there's no compartmentalization, there's no sectioning, sectioning off that love to this one. And the beauty of that is, Rachel has the capacity to hold that kind of love to where I can be in sorrow, I can miss, I can go through the anniversaries of loss and have her 
be there unconditionally, which is remarkable for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But there, there are many people that would say, look, that's over and you need to, this is about us. Well, no, this is, she has the ability to say this is about all of us. And she has a remarkable weight of holding space. So, and as for the loss itself, uh, as I say in the book the, that I came across, something says we are not afraid of the uh, future, but we're afraid of the past repeating itself. Mm-hmm. And I had to really step into that fear and and say, you know, this is just part of who I am. This is, I will carry this kind of fear of the past repeating itself for the rest of my life. And I own it, I accept it, and I work with it. And, and uh, but I also live with it uh, without judgment. And I'll give you an example of that. When Rachel goes out at night mm-hmm. and, she, and she comes back, she says, well, I'll be back around 930 or I'll be back around 10 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And I say, okay, that's fine. If it changes and you come back later, I don't care. But call me and just let me know because one minute after 10, my mind goes off into some <laughs> fallacious places, you know, and oh my God, uh-huh. something's happened to her. And, you know, she's, she's free to do whatever she wants, whenever she wants, but she, and, she, and she's so gracious about that. We, we, we uh, uh, found that uh, dynamic early in our relationship and she has been so gracious to say, okay, I'll call. And she says, well, I'm <laughs> going to be an hour later. That's fine. I don't care. But just, I mean, because I have to live with loss for the rest of my life, mm-hmm. but I I know that, and I can accept that, and I can, you know, I can work with it. But it doesn't mean you won't be freaking out at one after ten. <laughs> yeah, no, no kidding. I got. I I just. It, it's just. And I. You know. It's been years, but that's just part of my nature, and that's. And I don't know if that's anybody else's, but that's mine. Well, and I, I was. I just felt moved to tell a story about my oldest child. She is to come home late you know, sometimes. And I said, you can't do that, honey, without letting me know, because I'll just see you dead on the road somewhere. Yeah. You know, there's uh, nothing in between late and, you know, decimated. Yeah. <laughs> and she said, well, why should I have to, you know, do that just because you're like that? You know, <laughs> and I said, because you have me for a mother and you wouldn't want me to be in that predicament, you know. <laughs> Exactly. She she actually was kind about it. She did do better after that. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, it is when you know what that is, uh, that experience of loss, it does intensify your imaginings to a degree, I guess. Well, it certainly did mine. Yeah. And, so I, and that's just part of my nature. And, and, and that's just, it, it, in the unfolding of, of love, it's just... There's nothing that's that's left behind. It's all incorporated into who I am today. And I think that's the, the tragedy of people that are told you need to move on. Yes. That, that is so tragic because it really isn't about moving on. It's moving in. It's moving into the depths. It's moving into the expansion. and And it's moving into the reintegration of life with this whole new dynamic. It's not about I've got a... a move away from my love and my loss, I need to incorporate that in a healthy way. And that's why healing for me is not of I'm done with it. Healing is that I'm deeper into it. That That's a very beautiful way to put that uh, that's familiar to me. 
I, I, I feel what you're talking about. Mm. Um, I don't think our culture really helps us go in that direction, though. No. Uh, you know, it's, it's kind of, uh, oh, someone died. Le- it's so peculiar to me because there's a horror of loss, but once it happens, it's not supposed to affect you. Yeah. It's a very odd combination, don't you think? Oh, and also there's a time limit of how long it's supposed to affect you. About really? five minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who made that rule? Who made yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I know your book just came out. I, I and and uh this was a serendipity that we're talking this way right as your book's coming out, but what are your dreams for it? What what uh what do you imagine in your heart's desire you'd like to happen next what I would like to happen next is for those that are drawn to it find it and be able to relate to it and find their own path within it I really it it is so important for me the reason I wrote it was like I said not for my healing but to be a part of the healing journey as a collective and so you know it is a story of 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 our lives and the first part is about what happened to us as a family and the the second part is how I came back to life and the the journey and the struggles there and I think people can relate to that and I like just your sharing your stories and, and, and me knowing you and you knowing me there's depth and one of the things that that really there's a proverb that i love that says deep calls to deep Mm. and i hope that everyone that touches this book and finds a resonance with it goes into those places of depth in their own journey and so that's and and that's that's why i I, that's why it's here you know and that's my hope you know, that's, that's interesting because uh, when I was anticipating doing this show, I knew I really wanted to and I was a little concerned that I would kind of uh, re-experience, you know, the harder parts of loss. Yeah. But that hasn't really been what's happened. Uh, what's happened is that I feel a deeper connection to what I learned from loss. Yeah. Uh, that because everyone ex- you're expressing it differently from anyone else, and yet there's a common depth, there's a common place. I recognize. Do you find that when you talk to other people who've kind of found their peace? Absolutely, you know, and our conversations, but you know, getting ready for this uh, interview, and we had that conversation, a deep connection immediately. Because we're on the same path, we're mm-hmm. on the, it's the same unfolding path, and we know that. You know, I, I've said in the past, and I've written that said those that don't know, don't know what to say, and those that know, know there's nothing that can be said. <laughs> you know, and there's there is that sense of when when someone knows this kind of loss. There's a common language, there's a common heartbeat, there's a common sorrow, and a common healing. And, and that's the unfolding that I, I hope this book will give to those that, that are on this path. Or others that are, you know, whatever, but that, that was why I wrote it. And the, the others uh, that you just mentioned, uh, I have the idea, my, I, I had a similar idea about this show, Mm-hmm. But now it's it's broadening. 
um, I, I want to be part of changing the conversation for people who haven't experienced huge loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to give them sort of a signpost, it's not like it's not going to, you know, rip you to shreds, but there is something beyond that. Uh, mm-hmm. Is that in there for you, do you think? I hope so. Is it in for me as a, as a in the book or in me and me? Of well, course. you're you're doing something in the world <laughs> yeah. that isn't differentiated from who you are, as right. I see it. Yeah, uh, yeah. But kind of that's, being a part of that conversation. Definitely, I think that's why we came out uh, around the HIV stuff when the, it was all the hysteria, because we could be a voice for those that, that had no voice, and that's not changed. That to be able to articulate and describe what people find indescribable and you know there's some writings that I do on a daily basis on Facebook and people say you put into words what I feel and every when people respond that way mm-hmm. my heart sings because I know what it's like to go to those places yes. and I can articulate them through deep reflection in a way that perhaps can give them space to say, oh, yeah, this is what I'm feeling. Yes. And so uh, that's, that's really important to me, to, to be a voice for those that have no voice or can't speak at the moment. Oh, I've enjoyed this so much, Benjamin. Would you, could we close with that uh, dolphin section of your book? We have, about, we have about three and a half minutes left, and I, I think we have enough time for the whole I, thing. I, well, I don't know what where it is. I don't have that in front of me. Oh, yeah, I do. Yeah, on I that cold, that. rainy day. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh it appears. Okay, sure. Uh, it's a dolphin story, and uh, it says, "On that cold, rainy day, thirteen years earlier, I sat waiting for Matt, and I had arrangement. We had agreed that if it was if he was okay, he would send three dolphins to jump that day. I waited for hours, but no dolphins jumped." The cold and rain swept me further into my emptiness before night took me completely. The memory of 13 years earlier segued into this moment. I spoke to the ancient one that was once my son. My thought formulated with a slight smile and a feeling of peace as I said to Matt, you never did send those dolphins. Just at that very moment, three dolphins gently swam right in front of me. Three, not four, not two, three. They didn't jump like I had envisioned they would 13 years earlier. They simply sauntered by without a glance toward me. In my disbelief, I shouted down to Rachel. I pointed to the dolphins. To my relief, she acknowledged them. If they were an illusion, then they were an illusion to us both, but they were not. Loss and its healing elements are not linear. In this moment, neither was time. All those years ago, I wanted so desperately to know Matt was okay. I wanted something, anything that would not only signal that he was still on journey, but that we were still on journey. I wanted to know the intertwining of our lives was still unfolding, no matter the distance or dimension. That day in Monterey, I just wanted a sign that he was okay. As dolphins passed me, I realized the message was more than Matt was okay. I sat on the rock looking over the expanse with a most tender message I could have ever received. The message from Matt was, not I'm okay, but you're okay. As I walked 
and some distance from the others back to the car with every step I looked for a small rock that was waiting for me. I carried a I carry a small triangular rock in my pocket. Some people think it's a gratitude rock popular, popularized in certain circles. Perhaps it is to some degree, but the deeper reminder to me when I caress this rock is this. Everything is perfect just as it is. It is my serenity rock. With every touch, this piece of earth says to me, everything is okay. Truly, in this moment, everything is okay. Beautiful way to end. Thank you for being with me, Benjamin. Thank you. I appreciate it. I hope you'll join me next week when I welcome Dina Taylor, whose book, I Don't Want to Be Pink, brings a fresh and funny voice to the experience of breast cancer. This has been Good Grief with Cheryl Jones. Don't forget to go to the Good Grief host page. Uh, don't forget to go to Benjamin Allen's after, theafterloss.net. And I look forward to being with you again next week for another meaningful conversation. Thank you so much for joining us for Good Grief. Please come back next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Cheryl Jones, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have a meaningful week. Abre mi corazón.